Well, definitely uh, been an incredible service so far this morning. My name is Steve Marici, and I have the uh, privilege and I'm very grateful to be the minister that heads up our family ministry here in the uh, South Bay Church. Uh, it's incredible to see our youth and uh, just all the different aspects of it this morning. The love they have for God, the love they have for each other, the camaraderie. Uh, kids that are really taking a stand in a, in a community today where it can be very, very challenging. Uh, before we go any further, though, I'd like to uh, open up in a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, where the boundaries have fallen, the incredible place that you've given us all to live. In a special way, God, I do want to petition you on behalf of a number of uh, people this morning. We've got varying health challenges and issues, and uh, for the Kansas family, in particular for Cheryl Ladd, uh, God, I pray that you're with that family, that you grant them peace, uh, and really help them through this uh, very challenging time. Pray for uh, Gloria Baird uh, coming off of her surgery, God, that uh, she will go into a complete recovery and uh, she will be uh, clean from any form of cancer. Uh, for the Roosties, I want to thank you for the incredible baby that you've blessed them with, the, the Pavlovskis as well. Uh, God, is so awesome when uh, new children are ushered into this world and uh, just the encouragement that can be. You know, for the uh, Politos, uh, with the child that they just received through foster services, uh, God, that you'll get them on the fast track to a uh, complete closed adoption on uh, their little girl, Tatiana, and uh, for Kim Hammond as well, God. Just with all these various needs, Father, please uh, protect these individuals, put the right doctors in their lives, and uh, with that, Father, as always, as I always ask you, please watch over and protect our children. It's in Jesus' name, amen. I do want to establish something on the front side. I got here about 9 o'clock this morning, set up our baptistry, and I have swept through these clothes three times. Please do not allow it to be a distraction, because I will be totally drenched by the time things are done here this morning. Just want to establish that on the front side. If you, if you won't be distracted by it, I'll try not to be, amen? Uh, as you can see, uh, we've got our series, Jesus and You, uh, that we're kicking off. And uh, the aspect of this that I'm going after this morning is that Jesus and You equals true freedom. You know, there's a... Uh, well, let me just go to the next slide here. Kind of an interesting word. Hippopotamonstrous esquipped aleophobia. I dare anybody to say that once fast. Do I have your attention? Does anybody know what that means? Yeah, we, we got the phobia part. What's it fear of? Nathaniel, you're a stud. You're a stud. Yes, it's fear of long words. <laughs> you know, that's one of the things that uh, I want to take a look at this morning is really the significance and the power of words. It's kind of interesting how one word can totally change up a perception of a sentence that we have. Power of words. Now, we know that there was actually, it was a little bit of good news based on how Europe's been doing, but uh, now a lot of the media, the way the media presented it was, the GDP of Europe increased only 0.02%. Now, is one of those a little bit more positive than the other? You know, the next one. Uh, it says he made it to his wedding on time. Now we read the second sentence. You know, being on time is a good thing, but if you're the bride, you're not going to be super fired up about the next one here, which it says he barely made it to his wedding on time. And then for, uh, for those of us that have bought used cars, now, the car runs! You know, and that's usually, we, we start there, you know, as uh, youngsters. Uh, 
I remember my first car was 1967 El Camino, 396 turbojet, turbo 400 tranny, blueprinted engine. Uh, it more than ran. But, uh, you know, it was like 1800 bucks. Now it's worth about 30. You know, what happens? You know, we'd be nice to kind of have an idea as to where things are going, right? But then the, the final sentence there says the car rarely runs. Now, how many of you would sign up for that particular car? You know, so actually leaving that word out obviously has a major impact on that net product when you purchase it. Well, there's a, another thing that uh, I want us to take a look at this morning when it comes to the power of words. And as, as we all know, uh, disciples are followers of Christ, right? And we also know that the, the term more people, most of us are familiar with is Christian, which actually only appears in the Bible three times in Acts 11.26. We see the correlation between the two. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So they're one and the same. They're synonymous. Now, how does the Bible identify followers of Christ? Well, there's quite a few different things that we can be referenced to. As we see, brothers, Christian, aliens, strangers, citizens, light, salt, ambassadors, athletes, soldiers, heirs of God, Heirs with Christ, members, sheep in the flock, friends, newborn babies, branch of divine, uh, followers. And honestly, that goes on. There's many, many, many more beyond that. But those are some of the ones that there's a little bit larger number uh, when it comes to referencing those that actually follow Christ. Now, this next one, slave. How do we feel about that one? ha. <laughs> Well, actually, from a biblical perspective, and if you've got a right relationship with God, that's exactly how you should feel about it. Let me hear that again. Oh, oh it's catchy. That's good. You know, and here's the, here's the reality behind it. The word slave, as far as its appearance in the Bible, we look at, uh, basically, if you go back to the uh, King James Version, actually, all English versions of the Bible, all the way back to King James which is also predated by the Geneva Bible, their tra- the word uh, servant is translated incorrectly. Slaves translated incorrectly. It's actually doulos in the Greek. So slave, doulos in the Greek, is mistranslated to servant. It means slave. We're going to get into a little bit more detail on that in a minute, but just kind of thinking that through, what the reference is about and what the significance is for that in our lives. The uh, definition, as you can see here, servant, as a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a household or domestic duties or as a personal attendant. Slave is a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey them. A person who works very hard without proper remuneration or appreciation. Not necessarily where we would like to be sitting, right? And you know, I think that there's a major contrast here between a slave and a servant. A servant's hired, right? A slave is owned. And I want you to kind of keep this premise in mind as we, we progress through this this morning, in that does a slave have a choice? What about a servant? Sure they do. They're hired. You know, most of us out here are hired, gainfully employed. I mean, in the economy, there may be a few of us having some challenges. And in this kind of economy, there's probably not too many of us that would fire their employer, but an individual that's hired has the ability to do just that, Right? Kind of moving along here as we've, we've established that difference. Slavery was something that was very well understood in the first century. It was a, a major part of Israel's history. Ebed is the Hebrew for slave in the Old Testament, and that appears 1,100 times in the Old Testament. So 
conceptually, when it came to slavery, these individuals understood exactly what was involved. Again, servants are hired, slaves are owned. Now, looking at this next slide, this is really interesting. The numbers on this vary a little bit. I, I took a number that was in the middle. Uh, during the first century, the Roman Empire is estimated to be somewhere between 30 million and 56 million people. So I figured I'd, I'd go for the 46, 46 million. Now, with that, this next part's rather interesting. And this varies as well, but most of, most of the historical accounts that I read at this period of time stated there were somewhere right around 9 to 10 million slaves. The estimates were that it could have been anywhere as, much, as little as 20% to as much as 50% of the population of the Roman Empire. Now, to give you a number that makes a little bit more sense for us, Los Angeles County in 2010, after the census, had 9,818,605,000 residents. So can you imagine the entire population of Los Angeles, and we know what a mess it is out there. Any of you spend any time on the 405? I know my daughter has some challenges coming in from uh, Hollywood this morning. I mean, the freeways are a mess. Imagine that degree of concentration of people all being slaves. And this is what took place. This is where things were at in the Roman Empire. Now, with that imagery, you know, is it possible that we could potentially miss what's going on here in this day and age? And I, I you know, I, I think the answer to the question is yes. I mean, obviously, the term "slave" is not something that excites any of us. I think, in light of what went on early in this country, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it, it is not something that one looks at and says, oh yeah, sign me up, sign me up, I want to be a slave. But I think we've got to understand that there are contrasts in this life. We're going to look at a passage that I think will clarify this in a minute. But when it comes to slavery, in Exodus 21, kind of give you an idea of this perspective. And uh, what I'm using, by and large, this morning is the Holman's Christian Bible. In that, yeah, right now, this is the most accurate Bible that we have when it comes to the uh, Bible that is most close to the original translations. Again, perspective on this. In the NIV, the term slave appears in the book of Matthew one time. In Holman's, it's in there 24 times. In the book of Luke, in the NIV, the term slave is in there zero times. It's in there 24 times in the Holman's. And Holman's comes up a little shy of, if you pull out a Greek lexicon and actually read through the passages, it gives the correlation. So, again, I think... This is where society has even gone with us for hundreds of years. It's a term people just don't like to use. And I mean, the word doulos is very, very clear as to what it means, and that's how it translates. But imagine, it's amazing how that, just that little tweak, slave to servant, you know, how that can affect really how we view Christianity today. You know, we think about this during this period of time. Uh, it says, if the slave declares, I love my master, my wife, and my children... And I do not want to leave as a free man. His master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost. His master must pierce his ear with an awl and he will serve his master for life. So the slave, you know, and, and again, uh, economy can definitely have a bearing on this. And that, uh, you know, from a societal standpoint, if the economy's not doing real well, but you just happen to be working for a guy who's got, you know, a, a huge piece of property, he's got the goats, he's got the cows, he's got an incredible farm, why in heaven's name would you want to leave that? especially if the guy treats you well. And so they would go to the master and say, hey, look, you know, I, I know my time of service is up uh, in light of what was established in the uh, Jewish tradition, and, 
He'd be like, I don't want to go anywhere. So they take him to the doorpost, ear up against the post, hit it with the awl, and he became part of that household, part of that family. And they could actually illegally be adopted in to that family, which in a lot of situations, especially with Roman royalty, the Roman Empire, the emperors, there were individuals who were baptized, or excuse me, adopted into those families that were heirs to whatever the fortunes were, properties were as well in those situations, which was kind of cool if you're a slave. New concept for you this morning. We're familiar with disciple, disciple equals Christian equals saved, right? What I put before you this morning is disciple equals Christian equals slave. A little quiet. Again, I, I think it shows the lack of comfortability with this. And, and prayerfully, as we close things out today, in light of Jesus and you equals freedom, I think we'll have a better understanding as to why this needs to be something we're not afraid of, why this needs to be something that we embrace. You know, when it came to slaves during uh, this period of time, that we, out of the passage we just read, you know, in Genesis 15 it says, God revealed to Abraham that his descendants would experience suffering as slaves in a foreign land. Joseph, Jacob, Moses, all these guys, on and on and on, understood what that meant. Slaves had no rights, no legal status. They were owned. They were dealt with as property. And, you know, you had slaves that were inside and outside. Uh, you wanted to be the inside slave. You know, the outside slave, I mean, that's where the drudgery was, the hard work, the digging up fields, moving boulders, clearing stuff, the planting out there in the heat, in the desert. The inside slaves, you know, they had, it was a little bit more cush, the household duties, taking care of the kids, some of them taking care of the finances, and generally those ones transitioned into the household a lot easier. And with that, a loyal slave was viewed as an asset, and that's where a lot of times it could translate or transition into that freedom to be adopted. Now, we talked about how one word changes things. Here's another one to think about. We look at the word Lord, and we think, and can be a synonym for, a synonym for what? God? Of course. And there's nothing wrong with that, but in the New Testament, Jesus referred to as Lord. Now, the word being used isn't Yahweh, but Kyrios, K-U-R-I-O-S. It's the word most often most often translated as Lord in the New Testament. It shows up hundreds of times, and here's what it means. It means master or slave owner. So Jesus is Lord, Jesus is master. And again, it can be a concept that we're not extremely excited about. But we need to really think this through. You know, when Shailene calls me dad, she identifies herself as my daughter. One of the things that's very endearing to me, and hopefully this doesn't embarrass her too much, one of the things I love most is when she calls me up, she's on the other end of the phone, and she's all, Hi, Daddy! I I love the relationship I have with my daughter. But, you know, it's very clear as to what the relationship is based on that degree of interaction. Now, here's another one. Now, when I'm called Jesus Lord, I'm not calling him teacher. You know, great teacher and me, great student. The reality behind me calling Jesus Lord is saying that you're the master and I'm the slave. You know, the difference between a slave and a servant, again, as we stated earlier, if you're a servant, guess what? You can fire whoever you're working for. I mean, you can walk away. And I think this is where it gets a little, it gets a little, uh, we've got to be careful because for those of us that are Christians, things aren't going a, a particular way that we would like to see it go. What do we do? Maybe put Christ on probation. You know, dude, I'm just about done with you. You keep this up, I'm gone. I'm firing you. And that's the reality. And I think as we mature as a church, one of the things that we've got to be careful with 
in this is the degree of faith and love and respect we have for God no matter what. We're, we're an aging church. We are getting older. There's death in our midst. There are these kinds of challenges. You may lose a job. You may lose a house. So do you fire Christ? Some of us have. And I think we've got to be careful. Because Christian or non-Christian, the good times are going to come, the bad times are going to come, but there's a difference between walking it with God, walking it with Christ, and walking it alone. You know, for those of us that are uh, still on that journey, trying to figure it out, here's the thing that I think you need to embrace. Right now, you're walking it alone, you're self-employed. How's that working for you? You know, we think of all the different things that we have going on in life, the things that we want to change, the things that we want to overcome, the, the areas of our life that we want, you know, we want purpose, we want meaning, we want great things to take place, and when we pursue it, we pursue it in the same place. Purposeless, without meaning, trying to figure out some way of dialing things in to make it work. And I think really this morning, what we need to all embrace is that the truth be told here, TBT teens, we, we out there? Amen. That was kind of a cool little thing you guys had going, so hopefully you're okay with me borrowing it. But the truth be told is the Bible is not just an invite to become Jesus' friend. But it is a mandate to become His slave. You know, we think of slavery as something we're forced into, but Jesus invites us to deny self and follow Him. Now, why would anyone volunteer to be a slave? What would the motivation be? Well, why does Paul, Peter, John, and the rest of the guys, why do they sign up for that? Why do you see the letters opening more often than not with Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, John, a slave of Jesus Christ, James, a slave of Jesus Christ? Why do they refer to themselves as slaves? Well, let's take a look at Exodus 21 here. Or, you know, actually, we already did that. Uh, let me continue. You know, I think just thinking back to what we saw in Exodus when it came to the whole thing with the slave saying to his master, you know what, I, I don't want to leave. I'm giving up my freedom. I want to stay with you. It may sound a little crazy. You know, it might seem to everyone else as being a little ridiculous. It, it might appear to those who don't understand that what's going on here is he's choosing a life of slavery. He loves his master, and he realizes he's better off as a slave. Paul is a slave of Jesus Christ. By, with that statement, what did he mean? Well, you know, I, I think what he realized is what his life was like before Christ, where that led, the things that he stood for, his self-righteousness, his pride, his arrogance, the very things that led him to killing Christians, because he actually had the audacity to think as the created, he knew better than the creator. And I think a lot of times we can kind of slip into that with our own lives. You know, again, the word slave is doulos, it's a word of desire. It was used as a person who voluntarily served others. He was a bond slave. You know, Exodus 21 talks about that. And if I could get you guys to do something here for me a minute, for those of you that serve as community group leaders, uh, small group leaders, ushers, sound, any of you that serve in any capacity in this church, can I get you to stand up for a minute? Take a look around. I am so incredibly proud of each and every one of you. This is what true Christianity is about. Paul understood the significance. It's about serving others, making a difference. And there's been so many over the last two years that continue to step into that role. 
And I, I'm so incredibly encouraged by it. You know, again, this whole thing, doulos, it's a word of dedication. It's one bound to a master where the cords are so strong that only death could break them. He was forever on duty. You know, the word was also used to describe positions in the Roman kingdom known as slaves of the empire. Except with Paul, what Paul understood based on the imagery of slavery in his day was that for him to be a slave, he considered himself to be a slave of the king of kings. So, you know, when it comes to that whole Christian equals disciple equals saved, is it really as negative as it may sound on the front side? You know, we're all slaves of something. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either we will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and... Now, in the passage, money is what fills the blank. But, you know, there's a lot of things that can be a part of that. You know, let's take a moment. Think about it. What do you fill in the blank with? What is it that can consume you to a point that God's choked out of the equation? You know, there's a, there's a number of things that come to mind for me. Job, house, alcohol, sports, money, car, cars, drugs, kids, boyfriend, girlfriend, time, sex, hobbies. Search for a husband, search for a wife, or whatever you want to call it. But the bottom line is, Jesus says it right here. You can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. You're going to hate one and love the other, or love one and hate the other. And really understanding the things that we are enslaved to. There are many of you sitting here today. Actually, all of us know at one point in time what we were enslaved by. And understanding that through Jesus, being bound to Christ, we have the ability to overcome those things. You know, I spent a little time thinking through it for myself as to, you know, what I had been enslaved to, and even those things that can creep into my life today, and why I didn't become a Christian until I was 32. And I think, you know, these are the reasons. First one was personal ambition. You know, just really thinking through, I mean, having come from a life that was very challenged as a kid, very poor family, um being told by, my dad wasn't involved in this, but being told by my mom that I'd never amount to anything, my goal in life was to prove, prove him wrong. So it was, that, that personal ambition was huge for me, this drive, this wanting to make a name for myself, wanting to have a huge paycheck, wanting the big house, wanting the exotic cars, wanting all those things. And not that there's anything wrong with them in and of themselves, but what are you consumed by? What are you enslaved by? The other thing for me was personal fulfillment. You know, wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of happiness in my life early on. And I, I wanted that. I wanted that happiness. I wanted that satisfaction. And then, obviously, personal gratification. You know, that, that ability to, uh, you know, when it came to pleasure. You know, I'm going to work until I'm 40. I'm going to retire, get the, you know, diesel pusher with the toy box and just tour the United States out there on my ATVs and my boats and just having a blast, enjoying life. And, you know, I, I chased it for a while. And honestly, I was very successful at it for a while, in the world's eyes. You know, and honestly, with the P's, the three P's probably should have been four. The biggest one was pride. You know, I was even thinking through those years. For me personally, it was incredibly exhausting. And this is where this next passage really kind of caught my attention. Matthew 11, verse 28. And I'm going to use the message version of this. And that 
Not that the NIV or the NLT or Holman's aren't encouraging, but I really love the way this is worded. Are you tired? Any of you relate? Are you worn out? Any of you relate? I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's human nature. This is the mode that we can get into very easily. Are you burnt out on religion? No, he has on that one? <laughs> well, you know, and this is what Jesus says. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I can't wait for heaven. I cannot wait for heaven. And I really believe a lot of the stuff I enjoy there or here is going to be incorporated there. there there's a farm pond up there with my name on it that's got a 40-pound largemouth bass. And for any of you that fish, you know that's twice the world record largemouth bass. There, there's going to be all kinds of things that I do now. Being able to take life a little slower. Really contemplate on... I mean, you get down to Redondo and you look at a PV. Is that one of the most beautiful views in the world? And that's going to pale in comparison with what God establishes for us in heaven. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Now, in the NIV or the NLT, it says, take up my yoke. That's what Jesus is saying. You got that yoke? It's got a spot for two people. And what are we doing? I'm not having to walk it alone. I've got Jesus walking it with me. I mean, the Son of God. We know in John 1, if you actually read the plurality of Genesis, we know that Jesus was there and participated in the creation. He's going to walk with me? How awesome is that? So he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, Jesus talks about his yoke being light. If you're in the midst of alcoholism, how's that yoke? Is it light? Drug abuse. Many of us know people within our family or friends that have died from drug abuse. How is that yoke? Pornography. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, all the different things that control our life. Maybe it's anger, an inability to forgive. How's that working for you when it comes to the relationships you wish you had? The family members that no longer want to have anything to do with you because of conduct based on our past. And knowing that with Jesus, keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that what we all want? Slaves that were in those households where, as a slave, they look forward to freedom. They look forward to that potential opportunity to be adopted into a family. And, you know, for those of you that maybe you're still enslaved by some of these things and haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you've got the ability to push that to the side and truly live a light, free life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, what was done for us 2,000 years ago? You know, we were all bought at a price. 
It's amazing. The Son of God came down from heaven and became a slave. Philippians 2 is real clear on the slavehood. Came totally humble, serving each and every one of us. Giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be ushered into his kingdom through his blood. As he hung there dying in Calvary, so that we would have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven through the waters of baptism. Jesus paid the price. And you know what? With that price that was paid, he is extending to you an invitation. On the invitation, there's an RSVP date. You know what it reads? Today. You know, when Jesus calls us, he means right now. He means today. The thing that's so awesome about that, though, is it means freedom today. The question is, now, technically, that means the time is now. Right? But, you know, here's where we can go with this. In Luke 9, there's a passage where Jesus has an interaction with three different individuals, and they, they need to do first before they can follow Christ. And the one I like the most is this one right here in Luke 9:59, where he Jesus, in interacting with this gentleman, the guy says to him, he said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed. And here's that one word that can change this all up. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me blank. You know, what is that blank for you this morning? You know, you may be even hearing this and thinking to yourself, well, I wonder what it was, what it was with this guy. Well, what is it with us on an individual basis? You know, maybe it's the, the bigger home, the better job, the, the better car, you know, whatever, the, the vacation home. There are so many different things that we can use as an excuse as to, you know, Jesus, really want to follow you. You're awesome. I love you. I appreciate Calvary. Man, what you did on that cross was cool. But, you know, I, I need to go take care of um, um, that. Before I come to you. You know, Lord, I'll be ready when. You know, I think back through my early life and what it took for me to see my need to surrender. You know, really, it was having others model it for me, then reading the Bible and applying it. You know, Jesus says his yoke is light. And I don't know, you know, I I don't get this in, in looking back. And I came to some new kind of conclusions on a few things. But... How is it that I would actually think I could create a better way of living than God who created me? I mean, and isn't this a place a lot of us can go? You know, in John 15, verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends, because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. Now, isn't that an incredible place to be, isn't that an incredible thing to be called? I mean, again, slave friends, you know, we're dealing with a couple of words here. But look at the transition. If we love God the way we're called to, you know, where he lays out the greatest command in Luke 20, uh, excuse me, Matthew 22, John 15, there's a number of places where Jesus talks about love. And the love we need to have for Him, the love that we need to have for others. And by applying what He's laid out for us through His Word, we make this transition from slave to friends. 
which is awesome. If we live in accordance with what he has taught us and quit fighting him, look at this transition. Slaves to friends with Jesus sharing our burden. You know, Jesus calls us to follow him today, not tomorrow. But if we choose not to pursue him on that level today, what's tomorrow going to look like if we don't submit to Christ? Five years from now, how's the marriage going to look? What's the situation with the kids going to be? How's our social life going to be, singles? How's school going to look, teens? How about ten years from now? You know, not right now, Jesus. You know, give me some time to get my life established. It's going to look like what we have in our communities. Divorce, kids sharing parents on the weekend, life without purpose, boredom, emptiness. You know, and Jesus hasn't been whispering, follow me. He's been shouting, hoping to get your attention. Hoping to get your attention before you lose anything else in this land of tomorrow. You know, looking back, I didn't realize, even though I was agnostic until I was 32, that Jesus was shouting at me, trying to get my attention. And, you know, you've heard me share this many times from the pulpit. I think the, you know, I view the, the ones that were most pivotal for me was the birth of my son and the birth of my daughter. But, you know, Jesus was really working on my life much, much earlier than that in my life. I remember in junior high school when uh, one of my best friends, um, I was in band, I was first chair first, and the young lady that sat to my left was first chair second. Uh, she, uh, her name was Julie Graham, and we, we had this incredible relationship. I, I could share to her and be open to her about anything and everything, and she would give me such incredibly unbiased interaction on so many different levels. My sophomore year, summer of my sophomore year, she went away to uh, Lake Isabella at the Kern River, was coming back down through the curves, Drunk driver swerved over on their side of the road. Julie was killed. Julie's friend lost both her legs, and her grandparents died in the accident as well. And I remember hearing it for the first time. I mean, no way. This is, this is you know. And it was, I had been out of town. It was after the funeral, so there wasn't even that degree of closure. But I look back, and I remember, I remember staying up at night thinking, man, this can't be it. You know, there's got to be more. I remember in science class, I prided myself on being an evolutionary, uh, evolutionist. So the, uh, the science project that I got was to do kind of that whole, you, many of you have seen the whole, you know, from the gibbon to man kind of thing. So I had this big old grad chart that I did, and I had three skulls that I made. I forget what one of the three was, but there was a Neanderthal and there was a Cro-Magnon. And then as I'm presenting to the class, the teacher says to me, he goes, now, let's just say, Steve, that, that God created all this. I want you to defend it. I want you to defend what you've just put out here on the table from that perspective. And uh, I remember kind of scrambling, and I guess catechism must have paid off at some point. In that, I remember hearing somewhere that you know one day was like a thousand years, and a thousand years was like a day. And it's like, guys, okay, I mean that's not that big a deal. Come on, God's you know infinite. He's you know all over. And if a day's like a thousand years, you know maybe it took a little longer for than a day from our perspective, but for God, I mean, come on. I got an A on the thing. So, you know, I guess, again, God kind of chipping away. You know, I remember uh, my first breakup where I'd been cheated on. You know, as a young man, you kind of think that's the end of the world. And, again, you know, you're wrestling with things at night, trying to figure it all out. I remember waking up one night after a night of immorality as a young man in his 20s, you know, who involved with a woman that was claiming to be a devout Christian, and just 
struggling with, with all of this, just not making any sense to me. I remember the first time I swore at my wife. Those things, you know, you just, you just swear up and down, you will never do. First time I violated my vows to my wife. Then, you know, there was some light there that was much more encouraging when my son Stephen was born, and then Shailene was born, and then, then you know, you kind of slip back into things again. I remember the first time I swore at my kids. You know, the remorse, the hopelessness, wishing and thinking and sometimes praying that there had to be more. And then knowing ultimately that through Christ, that's exactly what we have. See, the most dangerous part of following Jesus tomorrow isn't what you will lose between now and then, but it's the fact that tomorrow may never come. You know, we're kidding ourselves when we think, you know, and especially as the youth. I mean, you guys know it. I know there's somebody in your midst that has lost someone your age in an automobile accident, drug overdose, something along those lines has taken place. I've been seeing it all around me as of late. I mean, there's guys, you know, we, we just lost Bruce Matthews, 42 years old. I've got, I, got, I know guys in their 40s that I've had relationships with that have died. I've got guys in their 50s that I know that have, you know, guys... Immortality is not something we have unless we've got a right life with Christ, and then we get to spend it in heaven. We are mortal. We are finite on this planet. And saying tomorrow is kind of like hitting the snooze. You know, remember that first time that you had to get an alarm clock? Maybe it was a new job, or maybe it was going to college, and, you know, kind of sleeping in the morning didn't really work the way it worked in high school. And you plug that thing in, you turn it on, and the first time it goes off, man, you, you hit the roof. You know, it's one of those really annoying, eh, 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 kind of things. And I, 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 you can ask my wife. I don't use an alarm clock. I got this little thing on my cell phone that plays this little harp. If I need something to wake up, usually I get up around 6.30 in the morning without anything. So I think it's just because I don't like the idea of having to wake up to an alarm. But what happens the second week? You know, they have this wonderful thing on the top called snooze button, right? We get real proficient with that. You know, we're half asleep. Bam! You know, some of you have destroyed your clocks. So, you know, that second week is maybe two or three times that you've hit the snooze. And then, you know, what you find out on the fourth week is that that isn't really working, so what do you do with the clock? You set it earlier. So now instead of three or four snoozes, it's like ten. Or maybe you're like my wife and you try to fake yourself out by setting the time ten minutes ahead. So when you wake up and you're in a daze, you really don't know exactly what time it is. But I think the, the reality here is... Just like that alarm, the more you hit it, the harder it is to hear, and you may eventually sleep right through it. Jesus says, follow me, and you say ten more minutes. You know, the more you put it off, the less likely he's going to get your attention. Psalm 95, verse 6. Jesus says, come, let us worship him and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, before the Lord, our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. See, I think one of the things we've got to really understand this morning is the reality here is that your current habits are the best predictor of your future practices. See, the decision you make today will most likely be the decision you make tomorrow. So, you know, I really want to appeal to you this morning. Don't harden your heart. 
If your disciple is wavering in his commitment or her commitment, figure out what it is that you're unwilling to surrender, what it is that you're allowing to enslave you, rather than being a slave of Christ, knowing the freedom that comes with that. And you know, if you're here visiting with us and you've never really truly surrendered, this is what I want to appeal to you to do. Commit to coming to everything for a month. Not really asking a whole lot. Four Sundays in a month. Four midweeks in a month. Commit to coming to everything for a month and start looking at the Bible with us. You know, and here's the thing. If you don't do it today, there's no reason to think that you will do it tomorrow. Become a slave today. And you will find true freedom today, true freedom tomorrow, true freedom in this life, and true freedom in the life to come. God bless.